All right, I'm going to get started. Thanks everyone for joining once again. This time, I believe I have not fucked up the settings so that we are recording. I was very sad last time when uh, had to use the uh, Twitter recording, which is definitely lower quality because it's through my phone. Anyways, glad you're all here for our community AMA. Um, let's see. I guess just to do a brief, brief recap of the past month. Uh, definitely the largest event was the uh, Marinade uh, debacle. <laughs> uh, so basically, there was a vote on whether to close Lithinity's gauge or not. Um, a lot of people were unhappy that we were uh, taking our Marinade token rewards and locking them so that our voting share continued to increase. This is purely by design of the gauges. Um, it's supposed to work by if you have more marinade tokens locked, then you get a larger share. Anyways, anyways, there was a huge, huge prolonged debate um, on their forums and also in their Discord. And in the end, uh, the vote came out to not close our gauge. So we still have our gauge which is really great because um, me as well as a few other community members spent a ton of time arguing in favor of maintaining the gauge. Oh yes, and then one consequence of this was that we opened our pool because one major complaint against us was that our pool, our MSOL USDC pool in particular, was closed so that it did not allow um, anyone besides us because we provide liquidity to that pool. We didn't allow anyone else to get access to the um, marinade token rewards, but now um, there is access. And yet, unfortunately, the debate looks like it's going to continue because now that we've mentioned that we will probably be implementing um, our dynamic fees, um, for those who don't recall, this is in part four of our tokenomics. Essentially, if we have more liquidity then we need to provide the optimal level of liquidity then after that point um, all the trading fees will go to us this is a way to signal to depositors that we don't need any more liquidity um, so we mentioned this you know we've been planning this from even before the IDO over six months ago but yeah Mainly Soland is unhappy with this because Soland has deposited a million in our MSOL USDC pool. So they're now earning uh, trading fees and marinade tokens. But uh, now, because once we implement this, it'll mean they won't get any trading fees. They are not happy with it. Um, so the arguing continues. <laughs> Tune in next month for what happens <laughs> to the gauge. Round two. I, mean, I don't know what's going to happen. Anyways, that's kind of the main thing that happened this past month. Um, yeah. And uh, as far as what the team was working on, as we mentioned in our uh, previous iteration of The Beacon, which is our monthly newsletter, team has been heads down working on V2. And our first question in our AMA questions channel I see is when V2? 
I guess everyone's wondering this. And I'm happy to be able to tell you that we will be announcing or releasing the article for V2 this week. So stay tuned. <laughs> and uh, actually, I'm happy to talk about it um, in today's AMA if, uh, if there's like no other questions. Like, yeah, happy to talk about V2. <laughs> um, let's see. Looking at the questions now, when wrapped Lido rewards? Yeah, so like I said, this month, once again, it looks like the Lido token rewards have been delayed. And um, we actually reminded them, I think, on the 22nd to please send over the rewards. And I sent another reminder on the 25th or fourth, maybe. And uh, we have yet to hear from them. <laughs> so um, on the bright side, I have heard from one other protocol that this is pretty standard. So it's not just Lefinity. Um, they are often late, I guess. Um, so yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. There's really nothing that we can do about it on our side. Just waiting for them to respond. But yeah. Um, the why the hostility in the MDAO chat? Uh the Marinade DAO chat, that is. Um, yeah, I basically already went over that, I guess. So, well, I guess there's no more questions. <laughs> Maybe I should talk a little bit about V2 in that case. Alright, so yeah. I guess, yeah, just to give the basic idea of V2 and uh, how the market making will function. So um, right now, our pools always target a balance of 50-50. It always tries to revert back to for example, 50% SOL and 50% USDC. And this is regardless of the price. Um, and so what that means normally is that, for example, if the price of SOL goes up and we were at a perfect 50-50 balance, then we will no longer be at a perfect 50-50 balance because the price of SOL went up. So now, for example, the pool will be composed of like 51% SOL and 49% USDC. And so as soon as that happens, the pool will begin to change the prices that it offers and will try to encourage people to buy SOL from the pool in order to return to that 50-50 balance. <clears throat> um, yeah. And so the the one big change that we're making in V2 is that we are no longer continuously targeting this 50-50 balance. Instead, we are targeting an absolute amount of the base asset. So the base asset is, for example, in Sol USDC, it would be Sol, whereas USDC is the quote asset. 
Um, so for example, if a pool starts with, say, 100 sol and 3,000 USDC, did I get that right? Something like that. Um, then even as the price goes up, we will still try to keep three, you know, what I say, 100 sol in the pool um, until a certain point. So we will have predetermined ranges, which, or thresholds, I should, I should say, which when the threshold is crossed, we, there's a, what we're calling a rebalancing event. And that's when we do what we used to do previously and we revert back to a 50-50 balance. So um, maybe I should try to give a concrete example for this. So in the previous example, I said like, well, I guess I'll still try to keep it vague. But yeah, so the price of Seoul went up. And now our pool is 51% Seoul and 49% USDC. In V1, now we're trying to rebalance. In V2, we don't care. We, we, we still consider ourselves to be at a 50-50 balance. That's not, it's like not exactly a correct way of stating it, but basically we're not trying, we're not um, favoring buys or sells um, yet. We will start to buy, uh, favor buys or sells once price moves a certain amount. So for example, if the pool now becomes 55% sold, and 45% USDC, now we consider the price to have moved sufficiently to rebalance. So at that point, we will change the target balance. Um, or more accurately, we change the absolute amount of soul that we're targeting. So at the beginning, it was 100 soul. Uh, let's say price went up 5% or something. In that case, now the soul is worth more. So if we want to change the pool balance to 50-50, that means we're going to um, want less soul. So now instead of 100, we're going to target, say, something like 95 soul. Um, yeah. So practically speaking, what does this do? What this does is it, it allows us to determine how long to... Uh, delay the rebalancing. Initially, when we launched back in like um, January on um, Jupiter, that is, we were doing really good in terms of market making profit, for those who remember. And I mean, we talked about this in our announcements a few times. Um, our market making profit has not been doing nearly as well since our VEIDO. And we think a major reason for this is um, the increase in arbitrage bots, and they've become much more aggressive. And so what this means is that the rebalancing just happens really, really fast. And we're not really able to delay the rebalancing. We just continuously revert to the 50-50 balance even though we'd like it to be delayed a little bit more. And it used to be de delayed just because the arbitrage wasn't happening so so quickly. But now it is happening much more quickly. And this is why this change will definitely 
help improve our market making profit. So yeah, I hope that explanation <laughs> gave you some intuitive understanding of what this is doing. And then um, one other um, practical advantage of this that I should mention. So in the past, I've mentioned that V2 should also help us open more pools. So one of the ways it does this is actually related to that functionality I explained earlier, where we fix the amount of the base asset. So in the example, it was soul. But say, for example, it was uh, serums, SRM token. Um, what's nice about this is now we have the option to market make in a delta neutral fashion. What this basically means is um, we will be holding serum to market make. This is just necessary. There's no way of avoiding it. But we can eliminate that long exposure we have by holding the token in a number of ways. So one would be to short the perp of the token. So go short serum perp. Uh, perp is perpetuals. Uh, it's a type of derivative for those who are not aware. Um, this is what um, UXD, for example, does. They are one of our, yeah, exactly. So UXD is one of our partner protocols for our market making as a service. And they, for example, take a volatile asset such as Sol, and then they will um, short the same asset, the perpetual of the same asset, so that they have an equal amount of long exposure by holding the Sol, and then an equal amount of short exposure for shorting the perp. And what that means is that they have on net zero exposure to Sol. And because of that, they can now issue a stablecoin that's backed by these assets. So that is what their stablecoin UXD is, the delta neutral uh, backed by positions, a delta neutral position. Yeah. So that's one option. Another option is to borrow the token. So for example, um, we could deposit USDC on Solend and then borrow the Serum token and then use that to market make with. And then a final option would be to use <clears throat> Solend's permissionless pools. This one is unique because it doesn't require us to post collateral. Um, <laughs> this one is uh, tricky. It's definitely like something new. I don't think any protocol has done this. The main reason being that the people providing the assets would basically need to trust Lifinity because it would be uncollateralized lending. Um, so the... And so, yeah, each of these options has their pros and cons, which I go more into in the article. Um, but yeah, suffice it to say, there's a number of ways in which we can go delta neutral. 
and this is great because um, for those who have been around for a while, you probably remember how we closed down our Serum USDC and Ray USDC pools, and even our Mango USDC and FTT USDC pools, just because we didn't want exposure to the tokens. That was the main reason. Um, for Mango and FTT, they also just didn't have much volume. But like Ray and Serum, they had plenty of volume. It was just, you know, they have these very heavy liquidity mining programs. So we didn't really want exposure to their token. We just wanted to be a market maker. And with this new model, this becomes possible. So technically, you know, it would have been possible with V1 too, except that it's very complex because the amount of assets, um, the base asset in our pool is constantly fluctuating in V1. And so we would have to be constantly adjusting um, how much of the token we are borrowing on a lending protocol or how much we're shorting on some derivatives exchange. And, you know, it'd be really complex to do that, like, continuously. But with this new model, because we target a fixed amount of the base asset, that means the pool will always revert to that amount. And because of that, we can just borrow that particular fixed amount of the asset. And, uh, yeah, it makes managing the delta neutral position we're trying to create uh, much more feasible. So yeah, this should be this should enable us to create these new pools, or or in the case of like Ray USDC, Serum USDC, to deposit our own liquidity and therefore generate more trading fees and actually have the amount of liquidity that we actually want. Like right now, there's less then it can definitely handle more liquidity. It can definitely capture uh, more trading volume. So yeah, that's gonna be it's gonna be cool. It's also gonna be really tricky because um, with the perps or the lending protocol methods of doing this, um, for one, it's going to be capital inefficient because we are we have to collateralize our position with probably USDC and on top of that it entails liquidation risk so and those two things are a trade-off the more um, inefficient we are in our over collateralization the less risk of liquidation but the higher the risk of liquidation, the less capital we have to put up. So, yeah, that's somewhere we need to tread carefully. Um, yeah, I think that's the, the basic rundown of V2. Uh, the article will go into, like, more details. Also has some nice graphics to help your intuition understand what's going on. Um, but yeah, 
All right, Dioforce says, it sounds like V2 is a bit more risk-on approach. Is that fair? Um, Risk-on. I mean, so like I said, it depends on the method, really. Like, with the perps and the lending protocol, it does have this additional risk of liquidation. So there's that. In terms of the market making, it is not more risk-on. I mean, it's not less risk-on either. It's like the same as B1, I guess. Um, although it should improve market making profit, so... But that's not really a risk factor. Uh, do I think that the Marinade Wars were a net positive for us, despite us opening our MSOL pool? Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, so I think you have to look at it from, like, all the possible outcomes. So, like, one possibility would have been we don't open our pools and hope our gauge doesn't get shut down. I think that would have been very risky. Um, like, maybe it would have passed, but I'm I'm pretty sure, like, Especially a lot of the uh, Marinade team members, which I assume have a decent chunk of locked Marinade tokens, and are also like the people who are most inclined to vote on proposals. They would have been much more inclined to vote to shut down our pool if it was closed. So I'm not confident at all that we would have won the vote if our pool had been closed. So I just consider that outcome very unlikely, although not impossible. So that was one possible outcome. Um, another possible outcome would have been we open our pools, but then we our gauge gets shut down anyways. That would have sucked. <laughs> but then at least we could have... Um, closed our pool again i guess i mean yeah that that would have just all around sucked for everyone except for the other protocols uh using the marinade gauges <clears throat> um yeah i think it is net positive because like one it did like I think it did kind of start this narrative of the marinade wars. Um, especially because, like, now Soland has deposited in our pool. It's like tacit acceptance that, okay, this is the way it's going to be, you know. And they're a major protocol, so... I mean, I think with time, other protocols may start to do the same. And I don't mean, like, deposit in our pool necessarily. But, like, for example, start acquiring more marinade tokens. Um, the negative thing for us is that our yield definitely decreases. Because, I mean, now we don't get as much, as many marinade tokens or trading fees as before. So that is an unambiguous negative thing for us. 
But yeah, like I was saying earlier, I think ultimately I think it was just not avoidable. So um yeah, it just couldn't be avoided. <clears throat> and uh I think, you know, <laughs> like this whole thing, like it definitely sparked good discussion about like uh like what's the purpose of the gauges? Are they serving their intended purpose? And, like unfortunately I think that discussion got mired in like just endless criticism of Lifinity, which I think really misses the point. It's like, if the gauges aren't doing what you want them to do, then maybe the gauges are the problem and not this one participant. Um, it's not like we've, we've done anything malicious. We've been using it precisely as it's designed. So like, don't criticize us, criticize the gauges. Let's improve them to serve whatever purpose uh we as an marinade dao wants it to serve but unfortunately that conversation didn't really get far kept getting distracted by criticism for lifinity but i mean it was a good start i think to like start getting that discussion going and then i think it also got um a lot of positive um eyeballs what's the word positive uh attention <laughs> for lifinity um like for the most part it seems like it was like other protocols that were like against our gauge you know which from like a pure incentives standpoint makes sense um the only the only parties um quote suffering from what we were doing were other protocols who were not accumulating marinade tokens and thus, they kept getting a lower share of the weekly rewards. But from like the perspective of other marinade token holders, like what we're doing is basically good because we're locking tokens. It's uh, reducing sell pressure. And uh, over a longer term horizon could encourage other protocols to start doing the same. And uh, at least Soland has started doing that. So yeah. So it's not like, it's not definitely not like a pure positive thing for Marinade. I mean, for Lifinity, but there's definitely a lot of good that came out of it. I guess one other, oh, never mind. I won't talk about that. <laughs> Some of you may know what I was about to talk about, but never mind. Um, all right uh introvert monkey says i got an idea is it possible to partner with say soland so that we can use the lp tokens as collateral say we borrow uh ray tokens for soland pair it with usdc and use it in our pool wait hold on oh say we borrow radium tokens from soland Pair it with USDC and use it in our pool. Then we replace the collateral we use to borrow Ray with the Ray USDC LP tokens. Oh, I see. Yeah, so basically it makes the like we don't need this way we wouldn't need as much collateral as we otherwise would. 
yeah that could work let me try to bring that up with soland later see what they think it seems like it should probably work but i don't know i'm not a borrow land protocol so i don't know like what their risk considerations are but i mean uh yeah you should be able to like withdraw our the assets within our lp tokens whenever you want so seems like it would work in theory on the other hand like solen doesn't have many lp tokens they don't allow them as collateral very much so i don't know maybe there is a reason for that but yeah i can ask about that later all right well that's the end of the questions at least over on um discord if anyone on uh, the twitter spaces has any questions you can uh raise your hand and uh can bring you on stage i got some people typing in uh, discord I'll just wait for them Looks like I missed the answer to when v2, five minutes late. Um, oh, yeah, it's, it's uh, this week. This week. So, yeah. We're releasing the article this week, I should clarify. So, yeah, I guess one thing to mention about that is uh, like v1, if you remember back in January, um, Jupiter is going to have to integrate us, integrate us first. And uh, we don't have insight into their integration process, so we don't know how short or long that will take. So, yeah. But we have given them the uh, everything they need to integrate us. So, yeah, now we're basically just waiting on them. Uh, so yeah, we'll see about that. Is Zoro happy? For those who don't know, Zoro is one of our team members, one of our devs. Uh, I hope he's not overburdened as a as our sole primary coder. Yeah, he is our lead dev. Um. I don't know if sole primary coder <laughs> is an accurate uh, description, but we have four devs. Um, usually, or for the most part, they're all working on different things. Although maybe Luffy and Zoro work on the same thing. Um, is he happy? I actually don't know. I talked to Zoro very little. Um, Luffy is our dev slash project manager, so he's the one doing, like, all the team communication. He's, like, the, what do you call it, like, the centerpiece, and, uh, what's the word, like, uh, like, you know, like, the, there's, like, a graph where there's a point in the middle, and then there's, like, edges sticking out of it to a bunch of other points he's that central point
point. Uh, hub and spoke. Is that it? <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, yeah. So Luffy would know better about Zoro's happiness. What about my happiness, Dio Force? Don't you care about my happiness? Oh wow, several people are typing. A rare sight. I sound happy? Hmm. Wow, do you know me so well now that you, you can discern my moods? Hmm. I might be losing my poker skills then. It's not good. Had to return to that poker face. Uh, SGT that dot dignum asks, what is the latest on a potential large flare holder looking to sell? Yeah, so for those who aren't aware, there was some discussion in our Discord a while ago where our largest flare holder, uh, Norbert, the founder of Synthetify, um, and also our advisor, he has about 11.5% of our supply, which is a shit ton. <laughs> and so he was talking about wanting to offload some of that. Um, and uh, at that time, the price of a flare, the floor price was like 12.5 or 13, something like that. Right now it's 11.79. But I mentioned that because uh, he said he would be willing to sell at 12 soul or $400 per flare. And, and yeah, now the floor price is below that, so obviously that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, and then we also did a poll where we asked um, what percent from the intrinsic value of a flare would you be willing to bulk buy from a whale? Uh, and this is the Lefinity Dow would be the buyer of these flares. Um, and then people said the average was something like 15% premium. And, oh, by the way, an intrinsic value of a flare is its proportional share of all the assets owned by Flare DAO, so that would be like their liquidity in our pools, the idle USDC, the DAO funds that we have in like Fract, for example, uh, probably a few other small things. But yeah, so take all those funds and divide it by the remaining number of flares that haven't been bought back. Uh, that would be the intrinsic value of a flare. And uh, turns out that is about 5.25 soul right now and a 15% premium from that price is 6 soul so um in sum norbert is willing to buy or to sell at 12 soul and lefinity dow is willing to buy at 6 soul <laughs> so yeah nothing's going to happen at least in the near term that's the uh, that's the summary.
Uh, Dioforce says, the thing is, it scares me when you say in the Marinade forums, well, the only way that that'll happen is if Lefinity dissolves. And I'm like, wait a minute. Uh, what was I referring to? Is that like the distribution of the locked Marinade tokens? <clears throat> because we don't have to dissolve for that to happen. Uh, you can uh, vote to distribute that uh especially after our uh the grant terms are up um although yeah it's kind of questionable even if like the precise grant terms are still in play because you know it was made under the assumption of our closed pool and we were you know essentially forced to open it or face the consequences <laughs> but yeah all right uh Ipromino says i missed the first 30 minutes i wonder whether we've discussed the after effects of opening our msol usdc pool especially related with the dynamic fees i have reread the part four of our tokenomics the formula seems to work well when current liquidity is under target liquidity, but how will we define the target liquidity when the pool's current liquidity is already above, way above the initial target liquidity of 1 million? Will we keep moving the target liquidity whenever it's exceeded, or will we set a new target liquidity, say 3 million, and hope that there won't be any objection from the Marinade DAO in the future? Yeah, so for those not in the loop, I guess I kind of talked about this earlier. But yeah, so there's this thing where we've talked about implementing from before our VEIDO called dynamic fees, where the amount of fees that LPs receive is dependent on how, how close the total liquidity of a pool is to the target liquidity. And what is the target liquidity? The target liquidity is the level of liquidity that maximizes trading fees per LP token. So basically it's the point at which we have maximum efficiency and we don't need any more liquidity essentially. And uh, yeah, so part of your question was how do we determine the target liquidity? So there is no like closed form solution for determining what's like the optimal level of liquidity. It's, it's a totally empirical process. Um, so basically you have to first like guess what is the optimal level of liquidity. And then um, you look at things like volume and the amount of liquidity on other protocols and things like this. And based on that, decide whether you have too much, too little, or just right. Um, and if you recall, for example, like in the past, we've added some small amounts of liquidity to, for example, our BTC USDC pool, our ETH USDC pool. Uh, what else? Maybe it was our Sol USDC pool or our Sol USDT pool. I don't quite remember. It's in one of our announcements, but yeah, so we have made these like small adjustments of target liquidity. Um, or like in those cases, just like the amount of, amount of POL we want to deposit in the pools. 
Um, so yeah, that's how target liquidity is determined. Um, it's it's purely a way to maximize um, fees per LP token. And then uh, let's see, how will we define the target liquidity when the pool's current liquidity is already way above the initial target liquidity? Yeah, so like, so in the current example, like with our grant, we said 1 million worth of liquidity. As it turns out, we discovered that 1 million is too much for EMSL USDC. And uh, you can kind of see that by, for example, comparing the EMSL USDC pool with the STSOL USDC pool. That's Lido's staked SOL token. Um, they have, in general, have much more volume probably partially related to how they have larger liquidity mining incentives across the ecosystem. And yeah, simply because there's more trading volume, we can handle more liquidity more effectively. Um, MSOL currently has less trading volume, so it turns out 1 million is a bit too much. And yet, <laughs> more liquidity has been added because we opened our pool and Solon deposited. And so later on, we are going to adjust the concentration to um, account for that. So for example, 1 million of liquidity at 100x concentration is equal to 2 million liquidity at 50x concentration we would be providing the exact same level of liquidity. So that's basically what we're doing, or will do. Right now we're kind of gathering data just because we have the opportunity to do so and it's valuable. Um, but yeah, once that is complete, the plan is to um, reduce the concentration because we have an overabundance of liquidity. And then back to the topic of dynamic fees, which we haven't implemented yet. Once we have dynamic fees, that's basically a way to accomplish the same goal as um, reducing the concentration, but just in a different way. Um, so the concentration, yeah, it basically you know spreads out the liquidity more evenly. I mean, as, as the, the phrase itself implies, we're just making it less concentrated. Whereas with the dynamic fees, we're saying as the um, total liquidity surpasses what we say we need, we say, okay, guys, we don't need any more liquidity. Therefore, we are um, essentially, we're reducing, or um, if you reach the end of, or the top of that range, we are turning off trading fees for depositors because we don't need any more liquidity. Um, yeah. So it accomplishes similar things, slightly different ways of doing it. But yeah. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> Let's see, we'll keep moving the target liquidity whenever it's exceeded. So yeah, we won't we won't like adjust target liquidity 
um, based on whether the liquidity um, exceeds or not. So like if the liquidity does exceed the target liquidity, then trading fees goes to zero and that incentivizes people to withdraw their deposits. Um, so yeah, that makes sense. Um, let's see, then you say, oh, okay, someone deleted their message. I see. Um, yeah, so, and yeah, regarding the dynamic fees and the marinade DAO, whether they will object or not, well, one person is objecting right now, and that is Solend. Uh, because, yeah, if dynamic fees are implemented, that means their 1 million worth of liquidity will not receive any trading fees like they are right now. But they will still be able to earn uh, marinade token rewards, um, you know, which was like the the primary purpose of opening our pools. That was the criticism, right? It's like, right now only Lefinity can earn the rewards. So uh, please open your pool type of thing. And yeah, even with the dynamic fees, that will still be true. So I don't think it's really defensible to um, criticize that aspect of Lefinity. Because it's basically just a fee structure, right? Um, and why should Marinade DAO have any say in uh, our fee structure? So for example, right now, our protocol fee is a fixed 15%. Is that acceptable? Is 15% is too much? Should Marinade DAO be able to complain about that? Does it have to be 0% for it to be acceptable? I mean, if you, if you said that, then you know, you'd have to close gauges for every DEX because all of them have protocol fees, as far as I know. Um, and that probably wouldn't make much sense, right? So where should the cutoff be then? Is it 20%? Is it 30%, 50%? Where does it stop? You know, it's totally arbitrary. Everyone's gonna have different opinions. <laughs> really, there should be no opinion because it shouldn't be Marinade DAO that determines that. Um, it's purely up to the decks. And if they want to offer um, what other people consider to be an uncompetitive protocol fee, then, you know, that's the decks' prerogative. And, uh, yeah, that's my perspective on it. And, uh, yeah, so far, the only complaint I've heard is really from Solend. So, yeah. Personally, not too worried. Although not really excited about having to go through more of these endless arguments. <laughs> but yeah, we'll see what happens. All right, uh, you follow with, this is the formula I was referring to. Uh, I won't say it for the people on the spaces because it's, yeah, <laughs> difficult to comprehend with just audio, I think. Uh, you can find it in part four of our tokenomics or in our documentation. But yeah, there's a formula for the share of fees that LPs receive. Uh, 
As of now, if we apply this formula with the MSOL USDC pool, then the external LPs will get 0%, right? Yes, they will get 0% because our target liquidity is... Um, so if you look on our pools page, it'll say something else because right now target liquidity is basically just serving as a cap to the pool and we don't have dynamic fees, so it's not serving the function of target liquidity. It's just called that. Uh, we probably shouldn't have done that, to be honest. Should just call it cap for now. But yeah, so it says target liquidity. You can ignore that. Essentially, right now, our true target liquidity would be like something under 1 million. But then also we have this uh, agreement with Marinade, so it's kind of 1 million. <laughs> um but yeah, and then uh, we have like a total of like 1.9 worth of what 1.9 million worth of liquidity, so it's definitely over that. And for that reason, um external LPs would be receiving uh 0% of trading fees. <clears throat> uh if anyone on spaces, I'm just going to invite you on stage again if you want, if you have any questions. Uh, I can bring you on stage, so just let me know. All right, Pramino follows up with, it's clear to me now that external LPs will get no fees. They include, including Solind, will complain. And it's also clear that even if anyone would bring it up on Marinade DAO, it won't change anything to how our DEX and, and the MSOL USDC pool works. So in the end, when external LPs leave due to 0% fees, Everything will go back to normal. LOL. <laughs> Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> um, yeah, that could happen, but also not necessarily because there will still be Marinade token rewards. <clears throat> so, yeah, if anyone wants to deposit just for those Marinade token rewards slash market making profit, then uh, they can do that. Uh, as long as the pool is open, which we have no plans to close it, so. Yeah, but the trading fees part, um, yeah, once we have dynamic fees, it should revert to the protocol receiving all the trading fees. And I have reached the end of the questions. We have a lot of people today. We usually don't have this many people. Is this the marinade wars effect? <laughs> I have no idea. <coughs> Not COVID, in case you're wondering. Just coughing on my water waiting for questions. Whispering sweet nonsense into your ears. <coughs> and coughing. Uh, let's see. What else? Oh yeah, so I guess 
I'll just mention one thing people have been talking about recently is uh, with regards to the flare side, there's a lot of talk of um, providing liquidity on uh, NFT AMMs. And boy, oh boy, there are so many NFT AMMs. I believe there's like five. Um, <laughs> what do you have? Goat Swap, uh, Hay to Swap, Tensor. Um, Elixir. I think there's one more, but I can't remember. Maybe it, maybe it's not live yet. But so so many options, and the Flare DAO is considering whether to provide liquidity, which is basically a trade-off between the risk of impermanent loss and the potential trading fees plus any incentives that the uh, NFT AMM is offering. Um, yeah, okay. SGT that dot dignum asks, so V2 is coming soon. Any new pools on the horizon? So V2 will start by the way we're going to roll it out is first we're going to create a V2 sole USDC pool. And we will test that for a while and we will compare its performance versus the V1 pool. And once we're satisfied that it's working as intended, then we will migrate all our existing pools to V2 pools. And once that's complete, we can start to think about adding new pools. And um, I think we haven't like fully fleshed out all the details of how to do the, um, the delta neutral style pools. <clears throat> So, because like there's many options, right? And each option has its own considerations. Um, and so I think that's something we will need to discuss with the community. Like just to give one example, say we decided to go with perps, then we have two options. We could go with centralized perps on FTX, which is yeah, centralized, but cheaper, or decentralized perps on something like Mango, which is decentralized, but a little more expensive. So, yeah, stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, well, I guess that's, yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> Anyways, so um, new pools will basically come at the very end after, you know, some testing uh, some live testing and then migrating all the pools. So not on the immediate horizon, but yeah, like I think the types of pools that are going to benefit most are like the Ray USDC, Serum USDC, GMT USDC. Yeah, pools like this. Ideally, we can just do the <clears throat> permissionless pools on Solend because then we don't need to put up any collateral. We just offer people a fixed APR for some asset. And if they trust us, they provide it and we pay it out with some frequency. Um, that'd be cool. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not sure there's going to be like a ton of people who are excited about 
uncollateralized lending. <laughs> Especially, you know, soon after, like, you know, Three Arrows and all that. Like, they did a bunch of uncollateralized shit. Although, you know, I mean, those are obviously, like, larger players. So, you know, retail could be a different story. I don't know. But, I mean, it's scary for obvious reasons. There is no algorithmic guarantee. It, it's, like, purely based on, you know, believing that Lefinity will be able to generate yield with their assets. Um, or even if they aren't, that they will, like, they will cover, like, whatever loss they incur. Plus, whatever APR they promised. So... Yeah, that'd be so efficient. Like, we don't... It would be, like, no collateral. Plus, we don't even, like, uh, buy the assets. Like, people literally just hand it to us. <laughs> it's the epitome of efficiency, but... Yeah. We'll see if that actually works or not. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. Promino asks... Regarding NFT AMMs, are you familiar with how successful or unsuccessful PseudoSwap is? Uh, I know that, like, when it first came out, it was, like, quite successful. Like, it was generating a ton of volume without any incentives, if I remember correctly. Uh, which was cool to see. Um, I don't know, like, if that continued. I don't know if it was just, like, initial excitement that petered out or not. I haven't kept up. I haven't heard about it in a while. But, yeah. I mean, just because it can be done, it doesn't mean it'd be profitable for the NFT projects or the AMMs themselves. Um, yeah. Well, for the AMMs themselves, I think it does make sense. I mean, it's definitely an opportunity to make profit. Although the space is just so crowded on Solana now. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. <laughs> There's so many of them. And, like, they're not super differentiated, right? <laughs> the very spicy competition going on. Um, And then, yeah, for the NFTs. Yeah, for the liquidity providers, I feel like it's tricky. Like, uh, in terms of volume, NFTs, like, because they're not fungible, will just tend to have less volume than fungible assets, I think, in general. And so, yeah, I think it's just really tricky. I, I don't have a strong view for, like, on how all this will pan out, like whether like uh, trading volume will tend to coalesce on AMMs or not going forward, or whether they'll just stay on like the traditional um, NFT marketplaces. I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you guys think? <laughs> Introvert Monkey says, yesterday on Jupiter, I actually saw we had a Solend pool. 
but it's not listed on our pools page. Is that a test v2 pool? So it's okay not to answer if the team wants to keep the secret a bit longer. I actually don't know. It may have been some test we did for v1. Maybe we were talking about something with Solend back in the day that never happened. I honestly don't remember. It's probably not a v2 pool though. I don't know why we, we would test Solend. Such a minor token to test a v2 pool on. Yeah. <laughs> Doing some uh, detective work, I see. <laughs> White Turtle Bill says, I tend to think that it's fairly obvious the benefits being offered by an NFT AMM allow for a better user experience for selling and buying because of the instant liquidity. I'm really excited to see how these will shift the ecosystem. Yeah, so I'm 100%. I agree about the... Um, the instant selling liquidity i mean because the uh, traditional nft marketplaces they do have instant buying liquidity just not selling i guess like you know some have started to offer like bids um like collection-wide bids which is you know it makes it like pretty similar to an nft amm um so then like at that point it becomes more about like the interface like what's the most convenient or informative like for example for collections where traits matter a lot more then uh i think you know traditional nft marketplaces like it depends on like how they lay out the available nfts i guess but like nft marketplaces just like show you every possible option right i'm not sure if the nft amms do it like that but if they don't i mean for them it, it seems like it would make more sense to it makes more sense for nfts where traits matter less so nfts are in a sense like more equivalent to each other more closer to being equivalent to each other like uh, flares is probably a good example of that because our traits don't offer or they don't confer any like advantages for example in terms of like staking rewards or whatever so they're quite fungible um there's like some traits that are rare and command a premium but uh yeah they're pretty rare and then like anything besides those traits i feel like has been treated pretty much as equivalent although you know people certainly have their preferences as to like which traits they like but in terms of like price so like uh i feel like flares would be like a prime candidate for having liquidity on a NFT AMM, at least with regards to that aspect, I think 
an aspect that makes it uh, less fitting for NFT AMMs is that flares tend to not have a ton of trading volume. Um, perhaps because we're not a hype project. Um, <laughs> yeah, so for that reason, like, you will, as a NFT AMM LP, you're going to earn less fees just because there's less volume. So, yeah, it's really tricky. I just don't know how to gauge the expected and permanent loss, you know. So yeah, it's kind of tricky. Ideally, you know, there'd be an NFT AMM with some type of Oracle functionality where your price ranges can be adjusted according to the floor price on like NFT marketplaces. That would probably help a bunch with uh, averting and permanent loss. But yeah, only on the upside, I guess. Wait, is that true? Oh well, whatever. All right, uh, White Turtle Bill continues. Yeah, the fungible collections will definitely benefit more, it seems. I'm also curious to see how they approach rarity slash or rarity features and traits. Because for mo most collections, the traits do matter a bit, right? Yeah, so in that case, I don't know. It, fe it feels like it would be more, it would feel more clumsy to use an NFT AMM if you're hunting for like certain traits. Um, honestly, I, I'm like super excited about the uh, automating the graveyard exchange. Like, uh, I guess um, Elixir has that now. Actually, I think they did it because I mentioned it to them <laughs> on Twitter, um, which is cool for sure. But I'm, I'm not exactly sure how it functions. Like, is it the same pool as their NFT AMM? So it's like you have to provide liquidity and then within that anyone can do the swaps type of thing. Uh it which if that's the case, you know, it's unfortunate for us because you know we we have like 500 plus flares, which what we want to do is just deposit all those in a pool, not provide liquidity, just have them available to do swaps and earn fees from that. I mean, which would be really cool, right? It's like you could buy a flare and then you know buy a floor flare and even if you don't like it well now for a small fee you can just swap it to any of these 500 plus flares that suit your tastes <laughs> but uh no one seems willing to do that yet <laughs> fingers crossed uh, do you think the volumes could increase after staking slash locking ends and more of the collection is widely available? Um, well, I think if the collection is widely available, that will have to mean that there will be more listings 
More listings generally means lower prices, and lower prices tends to mean higher volume. <laughs> so in that sense, I think uh, that could happen. I think we did have, like, our volume has tended to decrease over time, if I'm not mistaken. Especially if you, like, count it not in terms of, like, sold volume, but in terms of, like, how many flares sold. Uh, I think that's certainly decreased. I mean, that's I guess that's just naturally true because as price increases, there's just fewer sales. But um, yeah, there's also fewer available on the market. Um, yeah, that could really work super nicely for us, I think, as well. The automated nature would be a huge benefit, I think. Yeah, it would be nice. Um, yeah, and the thing is, like, we could still have our graveyard thing where, you know, for example, we keep flares, newly bought back flares in the graveyard for, like, the first week or month or whatever. But then after that, you know, everyone's had their chance to claim it. Clearly, they don't want it. So now it moves to the pool, and then thereafter, anyone can just do it themselves automatically. Which, you know, it's nice because it, it will probably increase um, the volume of the graveyard trading because it becomes cheaper, last time I checked. <laughs> um, well, I guess it depends on the fee, but like if you use uh, Elixir's 0.3% fee, I think it's cheaper. And um, also just uh, enables the team to not have to deal with all the transfers and stuff. It's just fully automated, which is nice for sure. But yeah, if you would have made a shittier project, nobody would want to hold them. Thanks a lot, team. <laughs> Today I was chatting with uh, Miles from Yaw. Um, and uh, he was like, he said something about like our royalties and fees or he was asking something and I was like, uh, no, we, uh, 100% of our revenue and royalties goes to the Flare DAO. And, uh, he's like, oh, wow. So I guess the Flare DAO pays you then. I'm like, nah, <laughs> I think we shocked him. Positively. All right, well, there are no more questions. Still open to uh, someone coming on stage on uh, spaces if they want. Yeah, I guess I should also mention there's a lot of discussion about merch. We're currently starting to formulate a deal with, uh, what was it? The Ormas, <laughs> which is like a team that creates um, custom merch for NFT projects. So we've decided on the items that we want. 
Um, let's see. Let me check what those were. We did a vote. And the people chose a hoodie, t-shirt, cap, mug, a print, a custom print, that is, for any NFT of your, or any flair of your choosing, and socks. So those will be the six items. And so now we have to choose the designs. And uh, we have a channel for this, actually, in uh, our governance channel. Actually, we uh, revamped our governance channel, started using this new functionality that Discord released called forums. So basically, it's similar to threads, but um, you can create a new topic within governance. I think anyone can do that. And uh, yeah, so there's a merch channel and governance and people have been posting designs. So yeah, that's our next step to uh, create the designs for these six items that we chose. And um, yeah, uh, and then also there's the idea to do a FlareDAO merch contest where uh, we'd basically have a prize and then artists would compete for it by creating designs for Flare DAO. Um, yeah, I think right now the discussion is like, uh, how are we gonna get the attention of artists? I'm not really sure how to do that. Seems tricky. Who's got the connections? <laughs> But uh, yeah, that's another thing going on. Um, yeah, see a uh, white turtle bill typing. Any other questions? If not, I will probably make uh, this whatever white turtle bill is typing the last thing. As far as merch goes, do you think it'd be beneficial to create some type of Shopify-like store that we could utilize in the future? Current merch offering sounds like it'll only be a one-time offering, so we won't have the ability to purchase single items. Yeah, I mean, seems like a no-brainer because I'm sure there's plenty of people who want one thing and just one thing and not six things. Um... Yeah, like basically I, I said okay to Ormos because, you know, they said they'll basically do everything. <laughs> um, I had one community member come up to me before actually and say like, hey, I can create some prototypes for you. And I, I forgot what exactly they said. Maybe they said open a store to you. I'm not sure how easy or difficult that whole process is. Uh, but yeah, basically, you know, it'd be cool if there was like a store where, you know, you just hand them your design and then people can place orders globally 
and they handle all the you know the production and the shipment and all and the payment processing and all that um is that something you think a community member would be better off handling um maybe yeah i'm not sure yeah like i said i'm not sure how hard or easy it is to like set up this store it's not something i've done before so i don't know how much effort it takes um but yeah after this we should have some good designs i mean we kind of already do with uh at least like some of the emoji that we have stickers some good shit <laughs> um i like the one you made white turtle bill where it's like like a bunch of those uh blinking flare emojis lined up next to each other and many colors that was cool i would wear that shit <laughs> Uh, gotcha. I'll yeah that one. <laughs> I'll take a look into it. I think it's most just paying a monthly subscriber fee and picking a vendor for production and shipping. Okay. Yeah, I mean like I have no idea how to choose a good vendor. <laughs> I'd be worried about choosing the wrong one. Or, and what's what's with the uh, monthly subscriber fee? So that's like a fee to like keep your shop open, essentially. Uh, Promino says, I can't remember if we ever touched this in any of the previous AMAs. Is it possible for us to create a non-pegged rule such as BTC Soul? Not that it'd be profitable if it's 100% protocol and liquidity, but there may be a permutation that would be able to generate enough trading fees as an open pool. Yeah, this is totally possible. Actually, uh, like our Lifinity X Lifinity pool is such an instance. I'm not sure what you mean by non-pegged pool. Maybe you meant something different. Like, if you remember, uh, it took a while to create the Lifinity X Lifinity pool because we needed to make changes to the front end to support pools that didn't have a stablecoin, essentially, in their pairing. And Lifinity X Lifinity was the first such pool. But anyways, we can do pools like that. I think someone suggested um, Soul ETH before, which might work. It'd probably have more volume than Soul BTC. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, but if we do that, it'll probably be after we do V2. So, yeah. Yeah. But yeah I still have the Soul ETH pool in the back of my mind. Someone mentioned it a while ago. Uh, I hope that answered the question. Oh, what I mean by non-pegged pool is, yes, a pool without any stables in it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. 
Uh, Dioforce says, are there any pending flare buybacks? I seem to recall an announcement some months ago about doing a flare buyback for some reason, but I'm lost on its details. Yeah, I think what you're referring to is we did a vote on what to do with Flare Dow's market making profit going forward. Because, um, yeah, previously we did the surprise buyback. And uh, I think essentially some people liked it and some people didn't. And so I wasn't sure what the sentiment on it was. So after a few months had passed, I, uh, yeah, we, we held a vote to think what people think we should do going forward. Because like, if we're going to do a surprise buy, buyback, it has to be a surprise. So, you know, you have to decide that far in advance. So yeah, we did that vote and, uh, the majority said surprise buyback. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the other options were might have been like just keep it in the pool or add it to the buyback fund something like that but yeah people i think i guess most people like the surprise buyback so and uh, white turtle bill says i guess if you were doing shopify directly they charge like 30 dollars per month to host a store and provide the infra for everything yeah i think if I'm not mistaken, I thought someone showed me a website, like specifically for like this merch type of stuff, where there wasn't a hosting fee. I could be wrong though. Anyways, you continue. Just thinking about the simplest way to approach the problem. As far as picking vendors, they offer a bunch in their site. But I guess if you didn't want to use the Shopify route directly, we'd have to do a bit more research than what I've already done. Um, let's see, what was that site? Here, let me uh find it real quick. I feel like. Oh wait, no, I don't have the link. Damn it. Oh well. Yeah, someone posted it in the chat, like, a while ago, when, like, the very first time we started talking about merch. I don't remember who that was. I feel like the website started with a E-dash. E-dash something. But, yeah, I'm not 100% sure on that. Yeah, Flare merch. Yeah, a lot of the flares are kind of nice because like if you have them, they're not they're not so weird that people will ask you like, what the fuck is that? And people will just like assume it's just some random drawing of a cute looking character, you know what I mean? <laughs> Like, uh, you know, if you look at a, like a board ape, yacht club ape, you know, it's like detailed enough that people will be like, what is that? If they don't already know. But flares kind of like blend in. <laughs> I guess it depends on 
the uh, animation you're choosing, but yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. Right on. I'll put that on my to-do list. Appreciate the time. Oh, thank you, sir. White Turtle Bill doing a ton for the community. Shout out to White Turtle Bill. Also at Promino. Promino doing long form explanations for everyone. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Well, I guess, uh, I guess we've reached the end of our AMA. Um, unless White Turtle Bill says something. You let me know when that internship opens up. Oh, yes. The Flare internship. The legend of the Flare internship. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> okay, we have a we have a long one from the promo now. Uh, let me take a drink first. All right, what would be the decision-making factors to open a constant product market-making pool? That features an asset without any Oracle price or a Pith Oracle. I understand the reasons behind Lifinity USDC and Lifinity XLifinity pools, but you also mentioned the possibility of opening an uh, Marinade USDC pool prior. We voted for the buy, buy and lock Marinade option. What were your reasonings when you offered the possibility to open the Marinade USDC pool back then? And would it be a worthy enough to consider now? As of now, there are only three Marinade pools. Marinade Emsol on Radium, 77k TVO. Marinade Emsol on Orca, 340k TVO. Marinade USDC on Orca, 37k TVO. Yeah, so... I think the... Uh, the options for or the reasons for opening a constant product pool and then providing liquidity ourselves are very limited for our Lifinity pools those are pretty yeah like you said you understand them and basically it serves like it provides utility for our own ecosystem so you know like the impermanent loss is not really a consideration. The primary consideration is providing utility. But for other pools, we are not looking to provide utility. Um, the protocols should do that themselves. For us, it's more a consideration of like, can it generate profit um, like all our other pools? With the Marinade USDC pool, the reason I brought that up as an option was because um, this was a special case, basically, <laughs> where we have our locked Marinade tokens, and then we can use them to vote for validator gauges. I'm just giving this background for those who uh, aren't aware. Um, so when you vote for a validator gauge, that delegates some soul to the validator and therefore increases their staking rewards. Now, Lefinity has a validator that the team owns 
Uh, this is totally separate from the Lefinity project, by the way. Team has been running this uh, from even before they conceived of the idea to start Lefinity. Um, but anyways, they have a validator. So we thought, hey, if we vote for our validator with our locked marinade tokens, we could generate some extra soul. And the question was, how do we use these this extra soul that we earn? Um, and then, yeah, one of the options was to use it to buy marinade and USDC and create a pool for that. Uh, what we ended up doing was to use the soul to buy marinade tokens and just add that to our stack. <clears throat> Basically, when I was writing up the proposal for this and the vote that we did, my main consideration was like, we should do this in a way that benefits both us and Marinade. So I felt like personally, I felt like if we just earned the extra soul and then distributed it to VE Lefinity holders, that's basically like diluting the utility of Marinade for all the other Marinade um, token holders who are locking and voting for validators because we're taking away that soul that could be staked with them. So yeah, I was thinking like, you know, it'd be great if we could use it in a way that benefits Marinade. And so creating a Marinade USDC pool and then adding that liquidity to that was one way to um, add value for us because like we're getting assets for essentially free, right? As staking yield, uh, just by voting with our locked marinade tokens. And then taking that extra soul earned and uh, buying marinade. So for one, it's buy pressure, but then also providing liquidity for it. Um, and then, yeah, like it's probably, you know, <laughs> it's, it's very unlikely that the trading fees of a marinade USDC pool would become greater than the impermanent loss from that pool, just because marinade is a very volatile token and not a ton of trading volume. But yeah, in this case, like I felt it was important to align incentives like um yeah use the extra soul earned in a way that also benefits marinade so yeah that's why i offered that option as well um, but yeah i think the option we chose is probably the best one it's good for us it's good for marinade and it's simple so i think think we made the optimal choice. Domino's typing, so I'm wait I'm waiting for the, the follow-up. Okay, let's see. 
I wonder what your opinion with the recent emergence of concentrated liquidity market making strategy layers built on top of Orca Whirlpools, for example, Camino. Do you think that the team is capable of creating a new similar product, which may be under the Lefinity brand or a new brand that utilizes a combination of protocol-owned liquidity and external LPs to capitalize on whirlpools. Um, let's see. So you're saying, let's see, what are you saying? So basically you're saying like start a similar either a branch of our existing product or a new product where it also has POL, protocol and liquidity and external LPs. But basically what it does is uh, provides liquidity to whirlpools. And I assume what you're getting at is that it does that by adjusting the whirlpool positions um, according to an oracle. The uh, reason I ask is because I believe in the team's technical expertise, but I'm not entirely sure about how profitable it would be as a business. <laughs> right. Um, so, let's see. So I haven't thought about this much. So these are just my first impression, surface level thoughts. But one is that, <clears throat> like if you recall from how our DEX works, we only trade when the uh, when PIF publishes in the current slot. And if there isn't, if it if, there, if it hasn't published, or actually there's like a there's a few criteria. Also, like if the confidence interval is too wide, um, or yeah, stuff like this, then uh, we just don't trade. Now you can't really do this if you're integrating with whirlpools, um, because. <clears throat> Like, if you deposit on whirlpools, then you're at the whim of the way that the whirlpools work. So, for example, say you you know you uh, provide liquidity on whirlpools with a range uh, around the oracle price, then in the next slot, uh, no price is published. But you can't help but trade if someone trades against your position because you're a whirlpool lp you can't add this extra layer of logic where you provide liquidity on a whirlpool but then please don't trade if pith hasn't published in the current oracle or if the confidence interval is too wide or if price has changed too much or something like that so um Basically, it makes you have to be more careful. 
um, or to put it differently, it makes you um, widen your spreads. You can't be as concentrated as you can on Lefinity because you can't add these these custom logics that protect you from um, toxic flow, essentially. So it's probably you know it's possible, of course. You can you can do something where you you put liquidity on whirlpools according to a oracle. And then if the oracle price changes by a certain amount, then you withdraw and deposit back again, this time with you know a different price that you're concentrated around. So you could do that. It's just, uh, it won't be as efficient as Lefinity's model because you can't put in all these protections that I just talked about. Um, I guess that's my first impression. Whether it would be profitable, I mean, like, I'm sure it would. It would, uh, so I guess, like, part of <laughs> what I think about is, like, uh, with the existing protocols, I still don't know how they plan to adjust their liquidity for volatile pairs. I think, like, all their pairs are stable pairs, as far as I know. Because for stable pairs, it's relatively easy, right? There's low risk of impermanent loss. So the rebalancing is pretty straightforward, I think. Although even for that, like, I don't, I don't know how they determine, like, what new price to concentrate around. Maybe it's just, like, the current price in the Whirlpool currently. Maybe they use that. Maybe they do use an oracle price? I just don't know. Maybe they use like the Jupiter price? I don't know. But yeah, when they come to when it comes to uh volatile pairs, you know, that's extremely important because like impermanent loss is such a huge risk. So I don't know how they're going to do that. I don't think they've revealed any details on that yet, so kind of waiting to see what they do. Uh, we'll see. But yeah, I think it can uh, be profitable. I mean, like, so it'll be challenging because they'll have to compete with uh, Lefinity, right? <laughs> and uh, they will be, their price will be wrong more frequently than Lefinity. And for that reason, they won't be able to concentrate as much. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, Promino says, so you're saying just because these strategy layers are created, it doesn't mean that they can't change the underlying process of how whirlpools work. Yes. In other words, they are limited to adjusting price ranges only, but can't really do much, especially in terms of helping whirlpools compete with other AMMs. Well, so to be clear, like, say Lefinity didn't exist, and then you have like a Camino that adjusts like 
a sole USDC pool periodically according to like an oracle. Like that would definitely do good. And you know, it also achieves what Lefinity achieves in that it's a lazy liquidity provision, right? But uh, yeah, it just wouldn't be as competitive as Lefinity because they can't introduce this custom logic. They also can't, like they're beholden to the Uniswap V3 um, price curve. Oh, which reminds me, something I didn't mention about V2. Um, uh, anyways, I'll finish this thought first. Uh, Camino has sole dust pool that I'm testing at the moment. Camino uses Pith and Switchboard for assets not available from Pith. Nice. Thanks for the info. Yes, yeah, so I guess they do adjust according to Pith then. Yeah, but anyways, uh, the thing about V2 I was going to say is that we, uh, we are also changing our price curve. We previously talked about this in one of our announcements. Um, we were considering using the stable swap curve because it concentrates more heavily when it's near the Oracle price rather than just like a uh, uniform uh, level of slippage, no matter how far you get from the, uh, the Oracle price or not slippage. Um, shoot, what was the word? Uh, anyways, I think most of you know what I'm talking about, if you saw that announcement at least. Um, but yeah, we're, we're changing to a different price curve that um, is new, I guess. It um, Basically, it serves our purposes better than uh, the stable swap curve. So... Yeah, it should be a double improvement. Stable swap curve would have been improvement, but this is also better than the stable swap curve, or at least we expect it to be. It's not like we've tested the stable swap curve. But um, uh, White Turtle Bill says, so the new curve is something no project has used prior. Correct. Yeah. Or as far as I know, anyways. Uh, Promino says yes. So even though Camino uses Pith to readjust their sole USDC price range every minute, they still won't be able to avoid impermanent loss nor generate market-making profit because they can't choose not to trade when the assets in the pool are already way off balance. As put way off balance. Um. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I might not phrase it that way. Let's see. Um, let's see.
So I guess, you know, another thing, I'm not sure about how Camino works that I would need to know to be able to give a fully informed opinion is how they do rebalancing. Like, say they do no rebalancing in a sole USDC pool. And then they just, uh, price goes up. So even though they keep adjusting prices, people are only buying soul from their pool. This will mean they gradually have just tons and tons of USDC and like very little soul left. So I assume at some point, even as price goes up, they use the USDC to buy soul so that they can recenter around the Oracle price with, you know, approximately like 50-50 balance. Um, so, and I don't know how they do that, which is a really important detail. Because uh, that's that's where the impermanent loss comes in, right? It's like, say, you know, soul goes from $30 to $35, and all the way up, um, Camino has been selling soul. And it gets to $35, now it has like 90% USDC, and uh, price settles down. They're like, oh, we should probably rebalance. So then they take a bunch of their USDC and convert it to soul. Well, net, what that means is they um, sold you, uh, they sold soul from 30 to $35. And then once they get to $35, they buy a bunch of soul. So basically they sold low and bought high, which is bad. That is impermanent loss. So, <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure how they deal with that. But, yeah. And, uh, yeah, Lafinity basically avoids that. I mean, not perfectly per se, but it is better able to avoid that. Um, yeah. Let's see. I mean, when Soul is already oversold at one point, Lafinity won't accept any more sold to USDC trades. Sold to USDC trades. Yeah. Yeah. As an LP rebalancer, Camino won't be able to prevent whirlpools to reject sold to USDC trades. Um, yeah, it certainly can't reject it. I mean, it's more a question of like, you know, Lafinity can't or won't, quote, reject it either. It's just that it makes it much more expensive to do so. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know how well or not Camino does that adjustment. <clears throat> uh, Lafinity can do this. Uh, you're quoting someone. Wow, that would be difficult. It's like they pulling out, then rebalance the sole USDC assets and reapply the LP into Whirlpool. That'd be amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I mean, I don't know if it's amazing because like that's essentially, you know, you're realizing impermanent loss. <laughs> it's like you're actualizing it at that point because like say price went from 30 to 35 dollars but then instantly went back to 30 dollars if you're a constant product market maker at least then you suffered no impermanent loss but if you go from 30 to 35 you're like oh shoot i have a ton of usdc buy some soul and then price goes back from 35 to 30 well now you've bought soul at 35 and it went back down to 30 so even cured and permanent loss so <laughs> yeah devil is in the details i guess but yeah in summary i think i would need to understand what exactly they do better to give a fully formed opinion but yeah But in general, more liquidity on whirlpools is uh, usually good for Lifinity because it means uh, more arbitrage trade opportunities. If uh, Camino is changing their price range once per minute and we're doing it once every 400 milliseconds, then, you know, we're ahead of the curve. I mean, like, one minute is very slow. <laughs> um, yeah, so that allows plenty of arbitrage opportunities, uh, especially when prices are volatile. Yep, we may need to understand these products more. As they become more popular, people would start comparing them with Lifinity, as they seem to offer somewhat similar value propositions. For example, able to adjust the price range for the users automatically. Yeah, it definitely makes Whirlpools much more user-friendly. Um, I will always be pushing these products to um give insight into their impermanent loss because as it stands i i asked them in their discord but the apys they show right now do not include impermanent loss i believe so <laughs> um and yeah retail you know like this nuance is very often not understood. So the education will need to continue. <laughs> yes, APY is just trading fees and farming tokens. They put impermanent loss as risks in the disclaimer. Ah, uh, how convenient. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, but yeah, I, I asked them and they said they had some plans to make it more um, transparent. So that's good. 
Um, yeah. Well then, have we reached a stopping point? I guess we have. Hello, everyone. I want to thank you once again for joining. Stay tuned for V2 very, very soon. I'm excited. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, yeah, I think we talked about everything. Just waiting for a prominent to type, type up something. Thanks, Durden. Thank you, too. Uh, great questions, everyone. Appreciate it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess I have no more words to say. I was, I was searching for some epic ending, <laughs> but unfortunately I was not able to find it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, I know, I know. I will type the Durden bot, invoke the Durden bot. Let us enjoy the words of the great Durden. May I never be complete. May I never be content. May I never be perfect. All right. <laughs> enjoy your day, guys. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Cheers.